This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. First, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Credit Intel. Knowing the financial health of retailers is crucial for the success of your retail-related business. That's what Credit Intel is for. Credit Intel analyzes the financial health of hundreds of publicly and privately held retailers in different sectors. With a subscription to Credit Intel, you have access to comprehensive analysis of retailers' financial condition and their expert analytics team. Visit creditintel.com for more information. Hey everyone, Chris Ressa here. Hope all is well. I'm down in Atlanta today working with the DLC team at the Atlanta regional office, and I am excited for today's podcast. We have Jason Ciano joining the show. He is the founder and CEO of Sabre Real Estate. He is a social media guru and a a great leader, and I'm excited uh, for you all to hear his insights on what's going on in the world today and uh, talk about some real estate deals that he's been a part of. But before I go there, I wanted to give everyone a little nugget today on how to best beat the gatekeeper. This is for all those salespeople, leasing people. This is for all those entrepreneurs out there that have to pick up the phone and call someone who they don't know they're going to get on the other line and try to connect with the decision maker. And you got to quote unquote, and I'm doing air quotes right now, get past the gatekeeper. There's a lot of different frameworks and befriend the gatekeeper and all this stuff. I'm going to give you one tidbit that will help facilitate a much more productive call with a gatekeeper, and that's with asking open-ended questions versus closed-ended questions. Instead of saying, is the owner available, saying, who might be the best person to speak to about this opportunity? Instead of saying, can I have his phone number, which is, again, ends in a yes or a no, and there's a 50-50 chance you get the information you need and you could risk no, I might say, what's the best way for me to connect with the owner? This has paid dividends for me as I've dialed for a lot of dollars in my day. The ability to use language and open-ended questions to help the gatekeeper facilitate a connection between you and the owner versus forcing the gatekeeper into a yes or no answer. I implore that When you're trying and you're truly, it's a true cold call. You don't know who you're going to get. You don't know how to get to the right person and you're calling. The best way to get to the next step is not to use close-ended questions that can end the call quickly, but to ask open-ended questions that give you a chance to get more productive information and help the gatekeeper facilitate a connection with you and the person on the other side. So it's not, is the owner available? Can I speak to the man- the office manager? It's more like, who might be the best person to speak to? When is the best time to get a hold of them? If you were me, how would you connect with the owner? These are much better questions, much better use of language to help you get to the next level. That's what I got today, everybody. Uh, just a little... a. Uh, Cold calling, beat the gatekeeper nugget. I know it's uh, as old as time. That's a little thing that's helped me. Uh, I hope it helps you. Uh, Enjoy the podcast today, everyone. Thanks. So, hey, everyone. Welcome to Retail Retold. Today, I'm really excited. We have Jason Ciano, who is one of the top real estate uh, brokers in the New York metro area. He is the founder and CEO of Sabre Real Estate. They are a brand advisor to many national tenants that go into retail properties. And he is probably the top digital guy in the commercial real estate industry as it goes to producing content that we all see. So welcome to the show. Really excited to have you, Jason. Thank you, man. I uh, thank you for the kind intro. It means a lot to me and uh, respect to you for... Uh for doing the same, man. The stuff that you do uh, on LinkedIn and now with your podcast is very ins- inspiring to me, and uh, I appreciate the kind words. Awesome. So, Jason, tell us what's what does Saber do? What are you guys up to today? 
Yeah. So, uh, so Sabre is a, a brokerage advisory company based out of New York. Uh, we have three offices in New York Metro and uh, a bunch of different service lines. Started the company with my partner, Ken Breslin, back at the end of 2010. So we're approaching a decade. Somebody's screwing up my live video because they're calling my cell phone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, uh, and that will happen a lot, I'm sure, through this, uh, through this podcast. So uh, yeah, so, you know, I started in, in the business uh, almost 20 years ago, which is absolutely insane. Uh, went through uh, a, a smaller boutique firm to CBRE and then ultimately uh, wanted to start my own company, which is Sabre. Uh, today, we are focused on uh, the traditional you know, retail real estate brokerage business in New York Met- Metro. Uh, and we also have built a pretty strong national advisory firm uh, that works uh, the entire country. So you guys get you know, New York Metro is one of the top markets in the country. You guys see a lot of different things going on there. And plus you have this national uh, platform for advisory. What's going on in the world today? What's, what's going on high level? What's, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, man, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time all over the place. Right. So I have a a unique perspective, uh, especially for a, a broker and an advisor, right. It's rare that somebody focuses on the whole country. So for me, uh, on a more local New York Metro level, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of vacancy. I'm seeing a lot of retailers obviously closing. Uh, The last episode, I don't know if you saw the last episode of Future Proof that I put out, but I was standing in a shopping center not far from where I grew up just talking about, uh, you know, the different life cycles of that center, which is always to be expected, obviously, right? There's ebbs and flows and cycles. Uh, but you know, the, the, the main difference today is really the impact, you know, the Amazon effect and the impact that the, uh, internet is having on retail. So I would say, you know, a lot of the, the, the traditional retailers are, are, uh, much more impacted and Sabre is fortunate to focus a lot on different areas that are a little less, uh, affected, I would say by the internet. Awesome. And so. What is Sabre? You, you mentioned you guys are focused on some technology re- resistant uh, tenants. And so what are you guys focused on today? Yeah, we do a lot of work in the health and fitness space, uh, wellness, uh, you know, beauty, uh, medical. Uh, cannabis is becoming pretty popular, uh, you know, so all of these different concepts that are now considered retail. You know, when I started in retail real estate, I'm throwing air quotes, but yeah, you're not watching this on video. Uh, you know, it was it was much different 20 years ago. Uh, and today, uh, there's so many, so many other categories that kind of fall under under retail, you know, I don't I, I don't feel like uh, the medical, you know, uh, sector was necessarily classified as retail, uh, you know, back when I started in the business. But what's interesting, you know, Sabre is a major reflection on myself. And uh, you know, we, we happen to focus on what, where I've always excelled, which is, you know, smaller square footage, uh, restaurant hospitality, you know, all of these different categories that are not necessarily traditional retail. So as the world con- continues to change and evolve, you know, I like to say that the world is actually coming to us. Very cool. So I saw, I forget when it was, but Tom McGee, the the top guy at ICSC, um, he put out, it was either an article, an op-ed, something where he called it not retail real estate, but consumer real estate. Somewhere a consumer is going, a person is going to consume something, whether that's a, a gym, a, a healthcare, or a restaurant, or actually take a product, but they're consuming something, they're spending dollars and getting something in return. And that's what it has shifted to. Um, and, and even us, right. Our portfolio is definitely morphed. We, all the types of uses you talk about are there and we have a considerable amount of what used to be called non-retail in our centers. What I think that has done though, is the retailers that are good. And as the, the weak are getting, you know, are going away, 
those retailers are getting stronger and stronger. That's one of the things we're seeing. So when you got the guys like Ulta Beauty and TJX and Burlington, they're still, they're getting stronger and stronger as, you know, others might be getting weaker and weaker. So. Yeah, listen, I also think that it was uh, a lot more forgiving, you know, back in the day when there were fewer ways for people to shop. Um, so I think, you know, today it's it's much more important to be current and differentiate yourselves as a retailer uh, because, you know, there's people can, you know, just go anywhere and buy the same product essentially, right? So they- Yeah, I think that the total, the commodity business is tough. And I think that's one of the reasons for the success of the digitally native brands, the direct-to-consumer. You know, one of the examples I like to give is Duluth Trading. Uh, if you've seen them, I, I like their products. I'm a shopper. I'm a fan. And I don't believe there's anywhere you can buy that stuff except at on their website, in their store, or in their catalog. I don't think they've wholesaled it to other channels yet. And they've protected their channel. And so it's pretty differentiated. They have different, unique workwear products and other stuff that you can't get elsewhere. And you got to go to Duluth if you're... You need that type of stuff. And there's a lot of digitally native untuck it, right? If you want a shirt that you you don't tuck in, you got to go to either untuck its website or go to untuck it, right? And so I think that that is a way to differentiate yourself when you have a new innovative product. And a lot of retailers or wholesalers are starting to protect their channel now, right? We saw Nike is no longer selling on Amazon, right? And they they want you to go to them, whether that's their website or whatever, and they 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 terminated a lot of deals with a lot of retailers that they had. Obviously, they've kept key ones like Foot Locker and whatnot. But I think uh, you're totally spot on that you need a different, you need a differentiator. You need something that makes people come. The days of finding a, a place where there's a hole in a market segment, you know, most segments are covered in most markets, and then just throwing product on the wall and selling it. Those days are gone, right? That gone. That's that's what's. You, as you said, easier to do. You can't do that anymore. You better better have step up your game. It's not that easy. Yeah. I mean, I think you mentioned, obviously, Untuck It. I think other brands like Untuck It are using the aspect of showrooming really well. Yeah. Uh, you know, only opening locations in markets that make a lot of sense for them that, that have their consumer. And, you know, companies like Bonobos, where you go in and you try things on and you ship it direct to your house. And, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, as a consumer, you know, myself, you mentioned Nike, which is uh, near and dear to my heart. Same. One of my favorite brands. Oh, I, the best, right? I have a, an absolute sneaker addiction. It's a major problem. <laughs> uh, who know me in any capacity understand how, uh, how I basically wear Nike head to toe practically every day. Uh, they're doing a great job. And they're also, you know, working uh, r- the scarcity model into it, like Yeezy and Supreme and you know, I'm I'm heavy into the streetwear culture, and that's uh, something that has I've always been uh, involved in. You know, from young on, and I think as that continues to get more mainstream, you're also going to see a lot change in fashion. Uh, I think there are many people in fashion that uh, have the perspective that you know the world has enough clothing, right? So you're starting to see these clothing uh, resellers, the re- the real real, and you know other companies like that that are doing a great job. Um, so I think, you know, every category is getting disrupted right now uh, or has been getting disrupted and will continue to get disrupted. Uh, and so will our commercial real estate business, by the way. Yeah, totally. And what's Sabre been really focused on lately? What's what's new at Sabre? What's like something you guys are always innovating, doing different? What's the latest at Sabre? What are you guys up to? Uh, and if you can't tell it all, I'll give a little teaser to the world. Yeah, no, I thank you for for you know giving me the platform to do that. I mean, we're 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 somebody this morning, you know, asked me who my competition is and as a company, right? And I sat across from them and said, you know, honestly, I don't really view Saber as having competition because, you know, we're so focused on what we do and we're so authentic and the culture that we've created over the last 10 years uh is really unique, I think, in the commercial real estate brokerage and advisory space. Uh, I won't say we're the only ones, you know, that do what we do, but uh, we kind of stay in our own lane and I don't really pay attention to what the other companies that do what we do are doing per se. And I think that's what keeps us really unique. Uh, we're at a point now where, you know, again, I'm truly blessed to be able to work with some of the most interesting founders and C-level executives at, at companies and 
you know, help them scale their businesses, right? And real estate's a, a, a component of that, but, you know, there's so much more that goes into scaling a business. Um, you know, I've learned so much along the way in the last 20 years, and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to uh, work with concepts like Chipotle in their early years and bring them to New York. Um, my clients started Orange Theory Fitness, been involved with them since before they had one studio in South Florida. You know, those types of things have given me such a, uh, just a wealth of knowledge and experience in uh, the, the kind of national strategy, the designing of an expansion program and using, you know, Esri data. And then on top of that, you know, AI uh, intelligence and mobile GPS reporting and stuff like that to get super smart and really be able to help these companies thrive, uh, duplicate their wins, limit their, you know, their, their losses. And uh, I think that's something that's very unique that we're doing. Uh, in addition to, again, the traditional New York Metro retail real estate brokerage and advisory work that we do. How, give me a percentage, how much of your work is the traditional brokerage versus this advisory work that you do for brands? Yeah, um, we are right now about, I would say about 65% traditional brokerage uh, and, and you know, the rest is, is national advisory work. And of the traditional brokerage, we're right up the middle, about 50-50 uh, tenant and landlord or development rep. And so who are were, who were some of Sabre's, you know, largest clients that you guys work with? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've repped Starbucks for the last, uh, man, it's since 2003, I've, I've been working with Starbucks done, you know, many, many, many Starbucks deals. Uh, you know, I, I learned the tenant rep business from Starbucks, which has been an amazing opportunity for me. You know, I used to say to people that working at 50% with any other company, you know, uh, people thought that you were an amazing, you know, person and, and, and can help them in, in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, Starbucks afforded me that opportunity. So they're a company that we uh, really, really love to, to, to work with. Uh, we're working with on a national basis. We work with a lot of health and wellness brands, a lot of fitness companies, uh, to name a few. Uh, Solid Core, uh, you know, we rolled out from, um, I want to say shy of a dozen units three years ago. We just opened the 68th location. Uh, last weekend in 19 states. Um, we work with uh, Y7 Yoga, another really, really dope concept. Uh, you know, uh, we work with Rise Nation. We work with True Fusion. Uh, I'm just thinking, you know, companies that come to mind. We work nationally with Squeeze Massage, which is uh, some. That's of a great name. Phenomenal, right? And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, some of the, the folks from Drybar. So, you know, we're really excited about that, that company and where it's going. And so I, I, I think the thing that's really fascinating to me is how, how did you find these brands, especially at the start, right? How, how do you find Solid Core before they have one or Orange Theory before they have one studio? How are you in with these guys at the incubation phase um, versus when everyone else tries to get on board when they've got 300 locations. What are you doing that everyone else isn't? Traveling the world constantly and looking for the newest exciting thing. Um, in addition, I will say, you know, again, being in the business for 20 years and having uh, built a track record of integrity and, you know, putting the client first. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a pretty small world and it, it only gets smaller. So a lot of these companies, I'm fortunate enough to, to be told they should reach out to me or, you know, put in contact with, I mean, more often than not, I mean, I, I it's been a long time since I've really pitched an account. Um, so I, I'm fortunate again, 20 years later to, you know, to be in that position where, uh, people are told that, you know, at a minimum, they need to have a conversation with me. That's brand, man. That's brand right there. Well, yeah, I'm also putting a lot into into the brand, as you know, and, and yeah, you know, it's paid off. So I, 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 I'll pivot from real estate for a second, because the other thing, you know, we mentioned your founder and CEO. So you're doing brokerage and advisory, but you're running a company, right? You run a company. And, and how many brokers do you have today? Uh, we are plus or minus 25. Wow. So you have... 
not a small company. You have a, you know, it's a pretty sizable company. And so if I'm a brand, right. And I'm a brand, I'm asking you a tough question. If I'm a brand, do I get Jason Siano? You're big, you're doing all this stuff. I, I got this, co- do I get Jason or what, or does it matter if I get Jason or not? Yeah. So, you know, we have a team approach, which is pretty unique for uh, a brokerage business. So uh, the the short answer is, you know, at this stage of my life, I work with uh, very specific uh, businesses and types of businesses where A, it's aligned with my, you know, the my lifestyle and, and, and companies that I actually really want to get involved in and, and help make a difference. Uh, so the short answer is absolutely for every brand that I just mentioned, I'm extremely involved and on every phone call and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's beyond a full-time job. In addition to, you know, you pointed out that I, I run the company as well. Uh, so yes, most folks that are in those categories are dealing directly with me and my team that works directly with me. Uh, now our business is too big for me to be involved in everything. Uh, my partner Ken Breslin is uh, is very involved in again the the New York Metro uh, brokerage business. Uh, I have partners in the New Jersey brokerage business: Justin Corinnis, uh, Jimmy Og, another person who's been in the business for you know 35 years or so uh, that I lean on heavily: uh, Russell Helbling, Stu Fagan, uh, Gina Baxter, who's my right hand in in uh, you know basically. Uh, just the, the COO and, and helping, you know, helping uh, the engine run smoothly. But uh, yeah, man, I, I work, I work 24 seven and uh, it's rare that I'm, I'm not working, which is, I guess the only way that you could achieve this type of stuff, right? Totally. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be all in. Uh, if, if you're not all in and, you know, you have to be all in and you have to be comfortable not knowing what all in really means. And it might mean 24-7. Listen, I woke up this morning with a throat so sore that I can't swallow. I've been trying to go to CityMD, who's a client of ours. I've been trying to go to CityMD the entire day, have not had five minutes to even think about. So like, honestly, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a grind. I, I don't have, you know, I, I, it's insane at this point. It's absolutely insane. But it's so exciting because I feel like I'm so gracious that I, I have this scenario, man, because, you know, I, back in the day, I used to early saber, man, it, it was sleepless weeks, not sleepless nights, you know, like the fact that I'm here playing on this level today is I feel so blessed to do it. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm literally too blessed to be stressed. It's the truth because, you know, again, I'm just fortunate that uh, you know, there were many times along the way that I could easily not be sitting here right now, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of moments in time where you, you could just pack up and walk the other way and you just got to keep going all in and go and plow through. Otherwise you're in this business this is really trying business. So for those people out there, whether they're entrepreneurs in retail, whether they're brokers, as they move up from being a, a, a one-man band to being to a place where you're executing, but you're also doing the strategy for running a, a, a large business. How do you, what, what are the keys to be able to make that transition from, you know, just making some deals and transacting to now, as we said, running a business? Yeah. So I, I clearly I started with, uh, you know, as a, as a, 1099 uh, independent cr- contractor with a, a desk and a phone and a computer. And, you know, here I am today, again, fortunate uh, to run my own company. And I will say that the most important thing is uh, I learned early on that you can't be great at everything, right? So I would tell you in my before, in my earlier years in business, I was trying to round myself out and the things that I wasn't good at, I was trying to get better at those things. And then later on in life, I realized the smarter thing to do is go all in on the things that you're amazing at, your superpowers, as I like to call them, and surround yourself with a team of people who are great at the stuff that you're not good at. You'll accomplish that much more. I'm a control freak and, and you know, I'm, I'm super involved in everything that I do. I've also had to learn, had to learn along the way 
to give up some of that control to people that are highly capable, understand how I want things, because that's the only way that you could actually grow without cloning yourself. And, and if I could clone myself, I would uh, absolutely do it. But those are a few tips, I think, for people coming up. And, uh, and you know, there's so many other things, but I would say you have to, you have to learn how to play well with others in the sandbox. And uh, you have to take the stairs. You can't take the elevator. There's no shortcut to success in this business. And um, it takes a long time to establish a reputation. And it could take a very short amount of time to ruin it. So integrity is very important. I hear that a lot from entrepreneurs, the control piece as they're growing and they got to give up control. I think it's part control. I think it's also that they've had success and they know what it takes to get it done. They would love for someone else to be able to just replicate it, but it's it's becoming trust trusting in others, right? It's being able to trust them, right? I think if you could go to bed 100% certain that everyone was gonna do it and how you know it would get done with the integrity that it took to get it done, it would be easy to let go of control. Uh, it's the fact that when you're starting out, you just hired this person, you're not really sure, and you knew how much you took to get to where you are, and one little mess up could turn it all around. And, you know, especially when you're young and growing in the business, uh, those mess ups take years sometimes to come back from. And so uh, I hear that a lot from people all the time. So I appreciate that, you know, going all in on your strengths and, you know, bringing in people, really the self-awareness to bring in people to do what you're really not good at, I think. That is a, uh, that's a strength. If you have the capacity to actually realize, you know what, this isn't my cup of tea. I need to hire someone to do that. And until you do that, you, you can't scale up. So kudos to you. And you could end the podcast right here. Cause I think that's the most sage advice we'll probably give, but moving on, you know, you have worked on, you know, I think like a hundred Starbucks and a million deals. And you probably have a, a story of, how a store ended up somewhere. But I think one of the things unique about what you guys do is you don't bring just a store to one location, you bring brands to an entire market. And so I, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, do you have a story about how you brought a brand to uh, a specific market? Oh, man, I, too many to honestly, uh, to, <laughs> to hone in on one of them. But I guess in order to give some context into you know what it is that we really do, I'll, I'll tell a story. Uh, I think people can gain gain from it. Um, so early days repping Massage Envy, looking to uh, enter uh, the suburbs of of New York uh, with the first location. You know when we when we set out to design a strategy for this instance, I'll use Long Island as as a, a territory. So. Uh, we'll ultimately decide how many uh, locations at saturation, you know, based on qualified households. Um, Long Island is two counties. Uh, Nassau County is 1.5 million people. Suffolk 1.3 million people. So we could basically take all that data and overlay uh, a, a strategy on top of that and, and decide where the tier one and tier two markets are, which is typically the first phase of a strategy when we're working with corporate or an area developer, uh, franchising, obviously a little different than corporate. And um, we were doing that with Massage Envy and I went, the first franchisee for them on Long Island wanted to be in Lake Success. Lake Success doesn't have very much retail and there's a shopping center, which is one of the best shopping centers on Long Island called the Lake Success Shopping Center. Now it's owned by uh, a family and, and they, I, I approached them with the Massage MD concept and the owner of, of uh, the Lake Success Shopping Center responded to me that his wife uh, was, uh, I think had been like a, a massage therapist at one point in her life. And you know, there, he heard a lot of bad things about massage parlors and all this stuff. And, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to educate him on what Massage MD is and that it's a legitimate brand with hundreds or thousands of, you know, locations at that time. And, uh, you know, I, I spent, honestly, I want to say, I think I, I opened maybe 10 Massage Envies, you know, over the next several years on Long Island. And we had kind of given up on that market and, and on that center. 
And one day I got a phone call from the owner who calls me almost as if we never spoke before. And he's like, you know, Jay, you represent Massage Envy, right? I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, and we haven't spoken in like a year or whatnot. He's like, you know, I, I, I really would like to have them in my center. You know, and, <laughs> if, again, Matt, we never had this conversation. I feel like that's such an interesting, I had a, a, a conversation, I touched on that this morning with a franchisee for a brand that we're representing because they called me and said, we really want to be in this town. It wasn't Lake Success, but they okay. used a specific town. And they said, well, we looked at every shopping center in this town. There's no availability or we're, we're strict, restricted by other tenants, et cetera, et cetera. I told them that story. And I said, listen, especially in a market like Long Island, you have to be willing. Timing is everything, right? Because if you want to be in specific projects, you're not necessarily going to be able to get into them in a short amount of time. So you have to kind of go off to the next territory or trade area that you're interested in, in potentially opening in and keep watching how things change in those other markets and ultimately you'll get there. But it's a very patient game and there's a strategy to it, you know, I think, which is why I think there's a lot, a challenge for a lot of young people on the leasing side of our business, because I refer to them as the microwave generation. You know, you know how many deals that I will get paid on this year for, you know, deals that I that, that, or deals that will, leases that'll get signed this year for deals I started five, six, eight years ago. You know, I mean, it's just a very patient game. And, uh, you know, I'll, I think that's just a unique kind of perspective. People don't necessarily understand how, how this is really a marathon, you know, the stuff that we do. It's not a sprint, especially on, again, the brokerage side. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of takeaways. One, just, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, that owner in Lake Success was not alone eons ago. That was the concern of a lot of people. And Massage Envy and Hand and Stone have, have like set the bar and now in leases, you know, in a prohibited use section for some anchor or something, it'll say no massage parlor except first class massage parlors such as Massage Envy. And so they've like made it, the Massage Envy has set the standard in commercial leases. And you know, that that's the takeaway one might have thought was not first class a, a, a long time ago. So listen, there's there's zoning restrictions throughout New York City because of, you know, the, yeah. the that it was, you know, trying to keep out massage parlors and things of that nature. But it's also interesting because over the the the, the past uh, few years, as boutique fitness continues to be uh, so popular, you know, there's grocery stores used to be afraid of health clubs and fitness and, you know, really restrict them uh, from a parking standpoint. And, you know, that's all going away now too. So it's just the evolution of, of, of what we do. I'll tell another quick story. Uh, actually across from my garden city office uh, is a shopping center called the country Glen shopping center, which is owned by a guy by the name of Murray Miller. He's in his late eighties. Great guy. When I was bringing Chipotle to New York, I knew this would be one of their best first locations uh, for Long Island. And I, I got Mr. Miller in the car. This is like 2004. I get him in the car. We go into the city to visit an open Chipotle that just recently opened in the city. And uh, I take him to lunch. And mind you, this is like a whole to-do, figuring out how to get him into the city, <laughs> keep the car close, go in, have lunch at Chipotle hop back in the car, come back to, to Garden City. We sit down and talk about it. I said, Mr. Miller, what'd you think? They were so busy, they're cranking it out. They're gonna be the next best thing, so on and so forth. He goes, they're too busy for my shopping center, Jay. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Nobody's too I, busy. I can keep going. This is like, <laughs> this is normal, you know? Uh, the, uh, oh man, did they end up getting there? They did. Yeah. We ultimately did a deal, but it took like, it took another probably year and a half of convincing him why they would be great for his property. We should call him together and ask him if it was a good idea. <laughs> totally. One of the things you mentioned on, on this patient waiting game that a, a little bit, you know, different than the beginning, you know, seemingly Long Island's still a pretty tight market, meaning there's not a lot of vacancy and it's hard to get into really good projects. Do you, is, is that a fair statement? Uh, you know, the good real estate is is good and tough to get into for the most part, but you're starting to see 
uh, opportunities free up now more than ever because of all of the companies that are filing for bankruptcy. And, you know, so there's a lot of space that wouldn't have been available, uh, you know, in, in, in prior years uh, because the economy is very strong and companies are still continuing to go out of business. So there's a lot of available space, more than I've ever seen. Are you, are you competing for spaces? You guys, you know, when you're rep- representing a tenant, are you competing in these good centers with other brands for the space? Yes. You know, the, the, again, the A, the A uh, shopping centers, you're definitely compete, competing for space. Um, but, uh, you know, the smaller space, I would say you're competing. Um, yeah. Your space, there's fewer tenants to, to fill that, you know, those anchor spaces. Do you still have, have to sell landlords on why a tenant might be good for their center? Always, always, you know, Long Island, again, it depends where you're, where you're talking about, but you know, Long Island is a a very interesting market because you have families that own major shopping centers. Yeah. You're not always dealing with REITs. Uh, And, you know, what's funny is now uh, if you have somebody like a Murray Miller, as an example, who's in his eighties and you bring a a new hip concept to him, you know, he's going to have his own perspective on what it is and, uh, it'll take him a while to actually decide whether or not it's for him. The most effective thing I've ever seen nowadays is the children and grandchildren are like, oh, you know, grandpa, you have to put in Y7 yoga. They're the coolest concept on the planet. And all he needs to hear is that from his grandkid. And boom, the deal's done. <laughs> so, Unbelievable. You know, it, it is. And that, you know, tying back into social media and, you know, the the what we do with, with social media, uh, you know, meaning you and I and how we're, we're, we're using it to, to, you know, to, to enhance our, our presence and put our properties, you know, in, in, in a different light and our retailers and everything that we do. So it's interesting because the young people are really paying attention to that. Um, and I think that, you know, the people in the industry for a long time who still don't understand why I put out a video every week, or still don't understand how important it is to use LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook. Um, you know, it's, it, I call it networking at scale. Uh, you know, and if you don't know how important networking is in business, then you, I mean, I, you know, I can't spend my time trying to educate people who are not able to understand the importance of these things. You know, it's like wasting your breath. It's totally wasting your breath. It, going back to Lake Success for a minute, so you you end up, you know, the guy, you know, the guy doesn't want to put in a massage parlor right away, and so were you engaged by the franchisee or from Massage Envy Corporate, or how did you get the engagement? That's an amazing story for another time, but I was working with the area developer who owned five states. Got it. So. He goes and he says, I want to be in Lake Success. This is the project. You come back and you say, I, I can't make it happen right now. What, what's his take on that? Well, that was the franchisee who had bought the territory. Got it. So ultimately, you know, we, he was only willing to go into, I think it was two properties at the time that he identified that he was interested in. Uh, we, we knew that there was nothing coming up in the near future that could accommodate them. So. I believe they switched their territory and we did a deal in, a, in another territory. And uh, when that space came available and uh, and the owners of Lake Success Shopping Center wanted Massage Envy, uh, we revisited the conversation. And I can't actually recall whether or not it was that franchisee who ended up there. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty commonplace. And And so where did, that was Lake Success, that was like number 10. Where was the first Massage Envy on Long Island? That's a great story. That was uh, Oceanside, New York, with uh, ultimately the guys who went on to start Orange Theory Fitness. Wow, they were Massage Envy franchisees first. They were, yeah, area developers for Massage Envy. Uh, from there, they actually found a concept called European Wax Center in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, that had two locations. They uh, asked me to fly down and check out the concept. I did. They ended up partnering with the Koba brothers and rolling that concept out to several hundred units before starting Orange Theory. Oh, wow. So those guys, 
those guys were in the wellness space for a while before Orange Theory popped off. They were in the wellness space, but even more so, they were in the franchising world. Yeah, exactly. Which is is complicated to get in if you don't have any experience in there. It's not, it's not easy getting franchisees on board and all that stuff. So yeah, it's uh, that's definitely a big part of their success with Orange Theory. Yeah, we we have a uh, we have a tenant in a shopping center in Westchester who a competitor of Chipotle Salsa Fresca. Uh, they have ten locations. They're in Westchester and they're they're starting the franchise route. And he he was on the podcast and he was talking about all he went through and the dollars that he's pouring in to be a franchise company is is extraordinary. So to get that you know platform to be able to do that, so. Having that experience is critical. We've assembled a, a team of folks in the franchising space. And, you know, if anybody needs assistance with that, we can help as well. Uh, so you'll help, you'll help, you'll actually help groups start to franchise and get that whole up and running. Correct. Awesome. Uh, well, pretty cool story on Lake Success and, and, and the other ones as well. Uh, and a, a great little tidbit there on the, the founders of Orange Theory. When you're doing the strategy for, you know, Suffolk and Nassau, and you're, you're doing the strategy for retailers, how much is to, and with the brands you're working with, I find that interesting because how much are, are you delivering a strategy to them versus them giving you a strategy to execute on? Yeah, it depends uh, a lot from client to client. Uh, you know, I'm typically involved with uh, with companies where I'm actually their their more or less their in-house real estate team, you know, so we're very much working together on the strategy, uh, which is which is what I enjoy the most, you know. So I get to feel like I'm a tenant uh, quite often, and I look at everything through the eyes of a tenant as if I'm the CEO of that company, and then you know build the strategy and present the strategy to the client. And then we ultimately work through it together and, and uh, you know, finalize a strategy that we end up implementing. That's with, you know, again, a lot of the companies that I'm personally working with. Um, but with other large companies, you know, where if they give us a, a roadmap and, and, you know, it, it's, it's uh, more or less something that they've worked on internally and they present it to us, we'll analyze it and uh, always give our feedback. We're never going to. Uh, look at something, and if there's questions or comments that we have based on our knowledge in the marketplace, we're gonna uh, we're gonna bring them to their at attention, and uh, ultimately, it's their decision on whether they want to implement those comments or not. Um, so we're we're here to advise. So so last thing on and going back to one of the points you hit on Lake Success is that the right deal might not be available. And so you, you pivot and you, you might move on to another market. When do you say like this markets, whether it's like success or garden city, this market's too good. You know, the money-making opportunity is too good. I'd love to be in that project, but you know what? They don't want me or it's not available. I'm going to go down the street or across the street. When do you come to that realization? It again, varies with everybody. You know, we when we uh, look at and it's for some of our clients, is it's as simple as the intersection, right? You know, there's four corners at an intersection, and uh, you know, two of those corners are the the one thousand percent location for us. And uh, when when we vet out those four corners, essentially, and we start to realize, you know, hey, one's a gas station that just re-signed a lease, the other one's TD Bank that, you know, paid X for the site and all that fun stuff, you know, we end up going away from that 1000% location going, you know, one off, wrapping the corner, and then you start to actually see how that impacts your sales projection, right? So uh, it, this is a science, you know, all of this stuff is a science. The difference is when you're dealing with a corporate, uh, with a company that has a very sophisticated in-house real estate team and and will help make that decision versus a franchisee who just wants to be close to their house and drive five minutes to their, you know, their massage envy or whatever it is. Uh, the, the, the decision logic is very different. And I'm, I'm assuming 
in Lake Success, there was no opportunity to do that. You mentioned there wasn't a lot of retail. So every franchisee is different. You know, there were opportunities, but this franchisee at the time was not interested in taking inferior real estate. Got it. Well, I guess he was proven right because a year and a half later or whenever it was, he ended up getting that location. So kudos. It was longer than a year and a half. It was okay. years later. Yeah. Years later. Yeah. Got it. All right. Well, listen, last part of our show. Uh, appreciate all those stories. Last part of our show is called Retail Wisdom. Love it. So for question one, best piece of commercial real estate advice for everybody out there? Don't get in the business. <laughs> <laughs> what about if you're already in the business? I'm kidding. Uh, I would say the best piece of advice that I can give to people is, you know, What's going on right now in retail real estate specifically is not just a cycle. Um, the impact of the internet is real and you need to realize what's going on and figure out how to uh, swim with the stream and as opposed to denying that it's happening and saying, well, this is just what happened when Blockbuster went out of business and you know, all, the, all the same stories that we hear from people who uh, have been in the business and in downturns many times. Uh, I think most of them believe this is just a cycle. It's not pay attention and uh, stay relevant uh, or be irrelevant. Stay relevant or be irrelevant, like it. All right, second piece of, uh, second question, sorry, not advice, second question. Extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead? Ooh, extinct retailer I wish would come back from the dead dead it's a tough one man um that's really tough well uh, you you can't imagine the amount of people who who give answers about retail who give answers and but they're not extinct i know <laughs> you know what my knee-jerk response was toys r us got it yeah and you know obviously they're coming back in a different yeah. capacity you know, I, I, I'm going to stick with that for these yeah. rather than waste more of your time thinking, uh, because, you know, listen, Toys R Us uh, going through what it's gone through is just a sad thing for the industry and a sad thing for everybody who grew up being a Toys R Us kid, because, you know, they were not necessarily they they they, they didn't stay relevant and became irrelevant. Right. So I think if they were a little bit more thoughtful and understanding the impact that the internet was having on their business and how other companies around them were doing such a great job in the, in the toy category that they could have adapted, shrunk in their footprint, you know, done a better job obviously online and been thriving today. So, you know, I, I, I kind of, I'm saying Toys R Us because it's such a nostalgic business that not only had a place in my heart as a kid, but also as a place in the heart of my kids which is yeah. crazy, you know? Iconic brands, no Iconic. doubt. Iconic. But hopefully they'll learn from their mistakes and come back in a different, you know, in a different form and, and be around again. I know they're working on it, so I'm rooting for them. Rooting for them as well. I, I think it's also a lesson on, you know, everything you said is all true. I think it, they're definitely a lesson on, on leverage, right? They were, even if they wanted to, they couldn't pivot because, you know, they're, they had so much debt and they put themselves in a position where they, they couldn't maneuver. When they filed, I, they did 11, 11 and a half billion in toy sales. You know, you can just think about that, right? Can I, if I told you, I'm going to give you an $11 billion business, can you figure out how to make a profit on the $11 billion in revenue? And, and that's how indebted they were. So tough, tough stuff. Uh, my answer, my answer though, now that, that I had a moment to think while you were talking, my answer is tower records because I just enjoyed going into that store and hanging out and listening to music and doing my thing. So that, that clearly that will not happen, but you know, <laughs> hanging out so, in tower records was a good pastime. Maybe Spotify or Pandora will have some cool experiential concept that opens. What? What music does Jason listen to? This isn't one of my three questions, but what's 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 on the what's on your, the playlist on the ride home? Yeah, so I used to be a DJ, and I actually uh, you know 
perform a little bit, you know, just to have fun. So I'm very into music and I like all different genres of music. Uh, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm heavy into hip hop. Um, I always have been really, you know, electronic music, hip hop, but I love pop music and rock and classic stuff. And, uh, a lot of like the, um, you know, uh, like dirty heads and, you know, surf kind of like, uh, surf rock music, like slightly stupid dirty heads, Jack Johnson. I love. Um, but right now, like I'll hop in the car and believe it or not, I'll put on like Justin Bieber yummy. All right. All right. <laughs> you have to realize now a lot of my time in the car is with my kids and we're hanging out together, having a great time. And that's how old are your kids? I have two boys, eight and five. And all right. Yeah. yeah you, honestly, that's the only reason you need to follow me on Instagram. If you're not already is to see my kids performing to the to, to hip hop music. It's pretty comical. Awesome. Awesome. Last question. So I am on Best Buy's website and and one of the, the top toys anywhere uh, in 2019 around Christmas was the Fuggler, the funny, ugly monster three inch vinyl figures and the styles may vary. Hmm. Um, the, the three inch was uh, a hot one because it was a stocking stuffer. What is the three-inch vinyl Fuggler pack cost? How many are in this pack? Uh, there is – that's a great question. Uh, so there, there's one in a pack. I'm sorry. It's a three-inch figure. Got it. So it's a three-inch figure. The Fuggler. A Fuggler. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to say that that thing would sell for about $12.99. The nine inch is fourteen ninety nine. The three inch is a steel stocking stuffer, four ninety nine. But thank wow. you for playing. <laughs> Go to Best Buy for the funny, ugly monster, uh, the Fuggler. I'm just happy my kids didn't ask for the Fuggler. They had something <laughs> else under the sun, but not the Fuggler. The new one. Awesome. Uh, well, listen, Jay. Uh, I've taken up an hour of your time, uh, a little bit more. I know you got. Uh, a bunch of deals to slay and I really appreciate it, dude. Hey, listen, I appreciate you. Keep up the great work and thank you so much for having me on. Man. If you're a brand out there looking for national advisory work, some brokerage uh, work in New York Metro, uh, reach out to Jason Siano at Sabre Real Estate. Jason, what's your website? Yeah, sure. So we're uh, life. L-I-F-E, and you can reach out to me uh, through Instagram. It's my full name, Jason, J-A-Y-S-O-N, Ciano, S-I-A-N-O. And email is Ciano, S-I-A-N-O, at saber.life. Awesome. Excellent. Uh, Before Vegas, let's grab dinner. Let's do it, man. All right. Absolutely. Long before Vegas. Long before Vegas. All right, brother. Thank you so much. You too, man. Later. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us. This podcast highlights the stories behind deals from all perspectives, so it doesn't matter if you're a retailer, broker, attorney, or an architect. Contact Diane Lee at D-L-E-E at D-L-C-M-G-M-T.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.